Paul and Leslie. Good to see you all today. And you too. Beautiful fall day again. Well, we haven't had a fall like this in a while, have we? I mean, fantastic. I'll sign up long term for this one. Um, let's take our Bibles this afternoon. No, this morning. Just about. I caught it mid-stroke, though. Just after morning, so that's true. Yeah. Uh, Mark chapter 13. We'll begin reading there. Mark chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse 28. 28. <clears throat> Mark 13, verse 28. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you, in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed and watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch you therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, in even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. May God add a special blessing in reading of his word, and let's just pause for prayer prior to our study together. Father God, again, thank you for this beautiful day that you've brought us together. We would ask that these moments before us would be meaningful, would be encouraging, would be heart-changing, and mind-blowing, Father, as we see you clearly from the Word. We would ask that you would teach us what you want us to know. You'd take us where you want us to be. And Father, you'll do it exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we lift up anticipation, praise, and worship, and honor to you, for you alone are worthy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, as here we are again in his last hours on earth, speaking to disciples, sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives, discussing what would come in the future, and ironically, as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, talking about an event which at that point was more than 2,000 years away, still in our future, of which the Son of Man, God the Son, God will come and land on the Mount of Olives, the very place that he was speaking to his disciples in that evening. And now, Father, allow us to see you more clearly through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Mark 13, uh, and there are three of the Gospels that parallel. Um, Matthew is the most robust, Matthew 24 and 25, which is uh, just by the place of geography, because Jesus was, in fact, with these four disciples, which had come to him. Uh, let's, in fact, just turning back to the math, Mark chapter 13, you find how they got here. These verses that we're ending the chapter with, uh, this is the beginning. This is how they literally got there. And uh, let's take a quick look at that. It brings us into our context. Mark 13, verse 1. And as he, Jesus, went out of the temple... Before we do that, let's even back up further as we view, review. This is Passion Week. It's Wednesday. Uh, Monday, they had crowned him king, king of Israel. Amazing how many hundreds of thousands of people were there. It should have meant something. And it's hard for me to still believe that on Monday of that week, 
They crown him as king. On, on Friday, the same crowd is saying, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, a known killer, an insurrection, a true insurrectionist. And they traded. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Well, that's the human heart. On Tuesday, uh, first order of business after being crowned king was to take the Romans out. Oh, no, no, that's what they had hoped. That would have been in their, if you talk about wanting somebody to get it done, that would have been it. But no, he took to the temple and cleaned up what was God's. Um, the remainder of that day and then Wednesday, of uh, which we're still involved in Wednesday. How many weeks have we been working on Wednesday, right? There's a whole lot of things went on, but he was teaching with a tremendous amount of authority in a place now, the first time in hundreds of years, that literally God was there. He had stopped all of this nonsense, the commercialization, all of this marketing, all of this games, and all of these things. And he gave you an example. Remember that on the, on, there's the 13 trumpet-like uh, receptacles. And this woman gave her very last amount. And it wasn't about giving to, to where it hurts. It was literally talking about the system has destroyed even this widow. That's what the system has done, taking from the poor, taking from the widows. And then they leave the temple. That's where we find ourselves in Mark 13. So let's review uh, what the questions were of what brought Jesus to this uh, exposition. As they went out of the temple, one of his disciples, verse 1, chapter 13, saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Beautiful. It's, It's spectacular, right, Jesus, Master? Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. It's all completely going to be destroyed. It blew their minds. As they sat down upon the Mount of Olives going home, remember, where was he staying? In Bethany, a couple of miles out. Uh, Mount of Olives would have been on the way. Peter and James and John and Andrew, four, asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? In other words, the destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And again, what's on their mind? What is first and foremost? If you're going to do... If, if you were going to have a seminar and the disciples, they, the very most important thing, their, their master had just two days before been crowned king. Ha! This must be it. Here comes the kingdom. All of the Old Testament scriptures must have just been resonating and resounding within their minds. This is the day. When? And then the temple being destroyed. That was a little weird. How does that fit into this? Why would that have to be destroyed? I thought the kingdom was coming. What's this all about, Jesus? Tell us. It went, what, what hour is this going to happen? And they're seeing this in a very short pro- profile. Now, here we are, him answering this in Matthew 24, 25, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13, literally talks about something that has not happened yet, and we're 2,000 plus years after. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Well, that's what's brought us to Mark chapter 13. He's answering conclusively now, in, uh, as we started today, verse 28. Last week, we looked at literally the, the coming of the Son of Man. How is that climaxed? What is it? He showed them a sign. The one that they'd be looking for. Now, again, this is interesting. I want you to bring you something in verse 14 of Mark 13. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. That was the sign of the beginning of the end, if you will. That would be mid-stroke. That's where the Antichrist, it's described for us in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that he will literally take himself and make himself to be worshipped in the temple of the Jews. That is the sign. And when that happens, you need to run for the hills. The next several verses talk about that. Don't take anything with you. Just get gone. That's the first sign of him literally the beginning of the end. That would mark the last half of the tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period, we still have on the board, I think, a few things. Yeah, the 70 weeks of Daniel, which correspond to the Jewish timeline. 69 weeks have transpired. They're gone. 
That went from literally the return to, to, to Israel to the crucifixion of the Messiah, which happened. In, this is just a day away, literally at this point. We're just a day from the betrayal and his ultimate demise in the sense of his crucifixion, which he chose that time and frame. That ended 69 weeks. We have been in the parenthesis, which is literally God working with Gentiles because the Jews had rejected him. I mean, you find that all through the latter part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, where they put their hands, we don't want you. We don't want you, Jesus. And literally, he set them aside. Uh, Romans chapter 11, he will return to that. There's no question about them. The Jews will be saved. One third of them, you look at Zechariah, two thirds of them will actually be killed, lost of life in the tribulation. One third will remain. Those all, that remnant will be saved. Okay, that's the Jews' future. That will be part of the 70th week, which is the time of tribulation. Uh, that is not necessarily Gentile influenced from the sense of its focus. You will find in Romans chapter 11 as well, the fullness of the Gentiles. You find it in Daniel. Uh, literally, when we close out what would be known as potential, we, we could call the church age, this parenthesis, be, which would, how does that start? The Antichrist declares a peace treaty with the Jews. All of these things start to, start to come together and the Jews feel safe. You, you ask a Jew if they feel safe today in Palestine? Not so much. Have they ever felt safe? Even think of way back to Haman, right? All of those days, all of those times when they've been taken into captivity, going all the way forward, even though they're, they've been declared a nation in 1948, do they feel safe? No. That's the one place you really don't ever <laughs> feel safe. But on the Antichrist, he will make this peace treaty, which will be for how long, we don't know, but probably seven years. Sounds nice. This is seven nice number. Well, halfway through that, this, this sign, the abomination of desolation, literally will take place. That would be that. But last week we talked about He's going to be coming in the clouds. All of heaven and earth begins to fall apart. The sun is darkened. You look up in the sky today, do you see this beautiful sun today? That day coming, it will cease. There will be no moon. Well, obviously no moon because there's no sun. The stars start to fall. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, and literally, we talked about it last week. The terminology that's used, men will literally die from fear being scared to death. You've heard that term. That phrase will become reality. And at that moment, every eye, it says, will see Jesus Christ. I'll bet they will. It's dark and He coming as light on a cloud and breaking through. Literally, He then will be who He says He is. He's coming in judgment. He's coming as King. And then He goes where our text is today in verse 28. He talks about a simple illustration. That's just what it is. Let's read verse 28. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Now stop for a moment. Where did your mind go when you thought fig tree? That one that, that Jesus did, he cursed, that, that's what you said as well. Yeah, I mean, that was a Tuesday morning, right? Again, what was the plan? What, was, what were they doing? We're going to go take the Romans out. Jesus says, well, I'm hungry. And why, why I'm sure he spent early morning praying like he always did. And he was hungry. Here's this fig tree. There's lunch. But it was also a great opportunity for him to literally do something that would have a, not only an illustration, but an analogy that's deeply rooted in the nation of Israel. We can go through the Old Testament and find that the fig tree and Israel are very closely related. They really are. And he tied it together on that fig tree that day. He judged it. He smoked it. Whatever you want to say, it's a miracle in reverse. That's the only one that's a destruction miracle. It died that very second. They continued on. Didn't have any fruit. Now, again, as he's going to the temple, which is literally 
the illustration even unfolding in physical form. He's going to the temple, which, you know what? There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of leaf. There is no fruit here. The fig tree was literally a picture of what they were going to do that day. It was a nation Israel to be judged. And that temple was destroyed 70 AD, 40 years later. Now, where did your mind want to go right now? You see fig tree, you think Israel. Did you do that? Don't do that. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But one of the things as we talk about it tied to this is this generation will not pass. Uh, I'm jumping ahead for just a moment, but it ties together with this. There are those that feel the fig tree is closely related to Israel. And it can be. Jesus actually in the previous example used it that way. He doesn't use it here. There are those that felt this generation, we'll talk about this fully as we go on, will be in place to see the end that sees Israel become a nation. I don't know where that came from. Probably Hal Lindsey in his book. I cannot see where in heaven's name you would find that. What I just said? Yeah. There are those that believe, 1948, that generation that saw Israel become a nation, that same generation would see the second coming. And a generation is how long? 40 years approximately. So there was all kinds of thoughts. 1948, and this was preached, I remember it, in the 70s, particularly in early 80s, that 40 years from 1948, in 1988, Jesus will come back. Because that generation that saw Israel become a nation, they will see him come again. That sounds great. It's the most ridiculous thing possible. It has nothing to do with this. But let's see this for a moment. Because, because Luke takes away this very thing that literally unlocks the fig tree and its leaves. Let's go to Luke chapter 21 and let's take a look. He says something that says it is strictly just an illustration. Luke chapter 21. And let's see if I can find where that's at. Verse 29. Verse 29. This is is the parallel passage that's in Luke. He spake to them a parable, Jesus. Behold the fig tree (laughs) and all the trees. That's for our sake. This is not about the fig tree and being Israel. It's all the trees. This is a sign. This is just a simple illustration. Now, the fig would have been one of the last ones to leaf out in the spring. If you were, if you were, if you were doing leafyology, which is not a word, <laughs> but there would be trees that were actually were, they were actually there was evergreens, and they, you know, they never weren't not green. You know, in evergreen, they're green all the time, just by their name. But those, like the fig tree, it would lose its leaves, and they were one of the very last to actually have the leaves come on which he's saying this, just, very, just this simple. Guys, when you're seeing these signs, what signs? The abomination of desolation, that's the first sign. And seeing, remember, oh no, we, they're, they're gone. But even for us today, we have seen deception. Deception will increase. Just remember birth pangs. That's what this is all about. Labor, labor pains for birthing coming. The deception will increase and increase. And you see it today. I mean, think of, think of where we are deception-wise on, on the Internet and all of our communication devices, telev- all of it compared to where we are in 2022. Just go back 10 years. It's a different world, people. The deception is at an alarming rate. The wars and rumors of wars. It's, it's, it's enhanced. That's the idea. It just gets smashed closer and closer together and more intense. We have earthquakes. We have all of these, quote, natural disasters that are among persecution. Persecution in the Muslim uh, countries is at an all-time high. You can't even say the word Jesus in a wrong context. 
You're out. And even amongst persecution within families. Look at the cults. I could name numbers of them today that if you, if you fail to strive to follow the cult, the family will disavow you. That's going on everywhere. That's not new, but it will even come to a more heightened level. Once we get to where the tribulation period starts, the 70th week of Daniel, and then you get to midweek and you see that, that sign, it is upon who? Now, this is interesting. This is another question. Who's he writing to? Let's keep going. Let's go back to our, it says the fig tree, back in Mark chapter 13. It says, uh, when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you, in like manner, just very simply, illustratively, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, it is close, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, who is you? Who is you? that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Now, there's another thought that was taking place and has for a number of years. There are those, the preterists, those that believe that actually in 70 AD, that the Romans, when they destroyed the temple, that Jesus Christ came back the second time then. Hmm. Really? Missed a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that didn't happen. I don't think the sun went out. I don't think the moon went dark. I don't think the stars started falling out of the heavens. I could go on. No. But why did they do that? Because they misapplied who you was. Who is you? It says this generation. Who is you? Who is this generation? It's the generation that sees the abomination of desolation. Just very simply, read it for what it is. When that generation, when you, those people that see these signs, that generation will not pass from the scene. That generation will see the completion. When you see the abomination of desolation, and you will see the second coming, if you're in the tribulation. This is not addressed to us. It's not addressed to the disciples. It's addressed to those that are living in the tribulation. This is a very distinct, you are those people that are in the tribulation. And you don't want to be there, by the way, personally. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Double, right? (laughs) And Jesus Christ paid the price so that you don't have to be. Now, Paul asked a good question last week. It's been running through my mind a little bit. Why, why then, if we're not going to be here, and I may not, correct me if I, I think I'll paraphrase the question enough so we'll get there. But one of the things that Paul mentioned was, you know, we talk about the second coming. And we'll be talking more today. I want to make sure that we understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming. They are very distinct events. And they're, they get welded together. And some of them see them simultaneous. Some of them see them the same. Some of them want them to be in the same. I, I don't understand any of them, but there are two very, very distinct events. But Paul's question revolved around the fact that should we be spending a lot of time on this prophecy regarding the second coming of which, if you're a Christian, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as Savior, and I hope you are in that position today. I hope your position is safe in Jesus Christ. But if you're not then the tribulation is on your horizon. But the day you get saved, this side of the tribulation, you're not going to be there. I can say it was certain because the Scripture speaks to it. The Scripture speaks with authority to it. So is it, is it valuable for us to be spending time on this? That's a great question, by the way. If we're not going to be there, should it matter? I'll tell you what it does matter. It matters for us to portray the gospel to those that potentially could be there. The more we understand the severity, I mean, it is crazy how bad this will be. It, well, in fact, the scripture even says it will, ne- it will be a time like none other before or after or ever will be in the sense of time. The end of time ends at the end of the millennium. Just so you know, it began when God said in the beginning, beginning of time, God created. 
time, matter, and space. All three of those simultaneously came together, which is an interesting concept for an evolutionist. How do you, you have to have all three of those, time, space, and matter together at exactly the same time for any one of them to exist. You can't have time without matter and space. You can't have space without matter. You can't have matter without space and time. You can't have them separately. And yet an evolution has to have them separately to start from literally nothing to get there. It's the most absurd concept, and in ten words, God just completely obliterates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that fantastic? It's all right there. Well, that's how it began. Seven days was the creation week. God put it all together in seven days, seventh day being one of rest. At the end, the tribulation period is the time of destruction. We have seven days, we have seven years. We move into, at that point then, the kingdom is for a thousand years. Uh, we were in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and we'll go to 10 through 12 because at the very end of that, uh, eternity begins. The time will cease at the end of the millennium when God judges sin and all of those associated with it forever. The heavens and earth will be gone, completely made new. How did he destroy the earth the first time? Flood. By a flood. And he guaranteed that would never happen again. And how do you know that? Every time you see a rainbow. Aren't those double rainbows fantastic to look at? Every once in a while you see one of those. Those are pretty cool. That's, a, that's, a, that's God's promise stamped in the sky that he will never destroy mankind or the earth by flood. But he has prepared it with fire. There is fire coming and it will obliterate heavens and the earth. When? At the end of the millennium. The day of the Lord will begin at the beginning of the tribulation period, seven years. At that point, he then moves into the millennial age. It's a thousand years. And remember what we found in Second Peter chapter 3? To the Lord, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. To me, him, time is, a, is totally irrelevant in the sense of capturing. He's outside of it. At the end of that, the final demise of sin, the final demise of all of those involved in that, Satan, false prophet, the Antichrist, all of those, at that point, then heaven and earth will be destroyed. And we enter into a phase that goes on forever and ever and ever. It's called eternity with God. Unless you fail to trust Christ as Savior, you will have an eternity. It's not an obliteration. It's not an annihilation. It is continual eternal suffering without God. There are people today that want a world without God. If they continue in that, they will have an eternity without God. Which I can't begin to tell you what that's like. Everything that you know about goodness, everything you know about God, everything you know about light, all of that will be absent. Just eternal torment. It was not designed for them. It was for Satan and his angels. But if you're going to follow him, you'll be there. That's not me saying that. I'm not trying to scare anyone. But that, again, speaks to the, to the value in studying prophecy. It shows us what is coming. It is history in advance. That's what Jesus is saying right now. In Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse really talks about history in advance. And it's lined out perfectly. Now, coming back to those, that you, of which Jesus is addressing, it's not just the disciples there. In fact, verse 14, I didn't finish it, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 13, verse 14, but when you shall see, there's you, when you shall, who's going to be, the, who's you? Who's going to see the abomination of desolation? The disciples? No. You that have been saved here? No. It will be those that are living in the tribulation, literally living there. You, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, then look at this in parenthesis. It's black letters. If you have a red letter, Jesus' words are red. It says, let him that readeth understand. Who is that? Who's him that understandeth? Was that for the disciples? 
No. It would be for those that literally, what's left behind when the rapture takes place? We'll be talking about rapture and second coming, and we're going to tie in again. But who's left? I said that wrong. What is left behind? The Bible. The Word of God will be left behind. The Holy Spirit who inhabits Christians. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is not bound by the Christian, but it's promised to everyone that's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That, the Holy Spirit takes, takes up residence. He, that person, he or her, is Holy Spirit possession and property. He paid for them. Jesus Christ paid for them. He resides. When the church, all of those that trusted Christ are taken out, the Holy Spirit leaves. That one that restrains then is removed. I can't imagine how terrible this place will be. Can you imagine? No, you can't. You can't get there. Sin will be rampant beyond belief. Unbelievable. I just can't even get there. But literally, where was I going to go? Oh, okay. So how in the world do people, all of these disappearances, and Antichrist will have a fantastic idea. I mean, he'll just say, well, we finally got rid of those people. We finally got rid of those people that were really, it was all of this confrontation. Do you know how happy we're going to be now just amongst ourselves with none of this God stuff, all of these religiosities guys, all these people, they're gone. I don't know where they went, but maybe the aliens got them. They finally, they, maybe they got their Jesus. They might not even deny that. They just say, good, finally, they're gone, over. We don't need them anymore, Right. But you know what? That guy that went home, remember we named him Joe. Ah, no offense. No offense. <laughs> you weren't here when we named Joe. I'm so sorry, Joe. It's Joe too. It's Joe too, right? He comes home from work and his wife Jill and the three kids are gone. Well, I would have swore she had that dress on this morning. And the kid, why are there clothes laying around? And we could go on, we could play this out, but you know where we're going, right? I tell you what, I don't care how how resistant Joe was to the gospel. I don't care how vehemently almost, ah! You know what? In that moment, he will realize they're gone. You know what he's going to be looking for in the house, which he didn't want anything to do with ever? Because he didn't take the Bible with them. Oh no, you're in, you're in the arms, you're in the presence of Jesus, the Word of God. That Bible that's probably marked up by his wife, He's going to start thumbing through that. That verse is for him. Let him that readeth understandeth. All of these things will start to take place. And when you see the abomination of desolation, there will be some serious Bible reading going on. Now, again, I'm not going to say all of those are going to be saved. Oh, no, no. It'll be the most difficult time imaginable. To economically survive, you will need to take the mark of the beast outside of supernatural deliverance, quite honestly. I mean, it will be... Well, you can see it today. You can see the sense of control. Can you not? In the last couple of years, this whole COVID thing that's taken place, the control and the manipulation and just the overarching injection of just... Oh! Right? That will magnify many, many fold. It will get more... I'm tempted to go down that track. I'm going to stop, though. Just stop right there. The Word of God will be left behind. That you, this generation, are those people that are literally entrenched living in the most difficult time known to man ever, the tribulation period. The tribulation period. The, who's, who is going to be alive then? Who's going to be in the tribulation? People that are not saved. The beyond believing... Not Christians. Unbelievers, right? We're going to separate them out. Atheists. There'd be atheists, right? You're going to have Jews, right? Muslims. Muslims. 
Gentiles, we could say Jews and Gentiles, couldn't we? Unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, believing Jews. Now, this is the time that God's really going to work with them. The more serious it gets, the harsher that the conditions are, the more impossible it seems like. That's what will turn the Jews back to their Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 12 and chapter 14, it talks about at the very end that they will see him for who he is. They will finally worship Jesus Christ as he hits Mount of Olives. That'll be a glorious day. They're just so resistant, aren't they? It's just so hard. That seven years is dealing with them, but there will be those that are unbelieving and believing, Jews and Gentiles. That you is who we're talking about. That generation will not pass from the scene until all of those things are fulfilled. Let's, uh, let's go to a couple of passages in regards to the rapture. We might have done it last week, so it'll be a quick review, but let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this whole, this whole thing was written, the, what I'm saying, the whole thing is the letter to the Thessal- Thessalonians was written by Paul because there were those that thought anyone that had died would miss the second coming of Christ. Verse 13, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I'm writing to wake you up, if you will, mentally, spiritually, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died, and as you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's one of the things, that that verse is so living, isn't it? When you go to the funeral of someone that did not know Christ, at least from our perspective, I'm not trying to be judged, nothing like that, but there are those that would have lived a life that would have been very far removed from caring anything about Jesus Christ or salvation by Him. Okay? Those events are, they're hard. I've done those as, you know, officiated at them. It's really hard. In fact, I have to look beyond that person, the reason we're there gathered. I have to, I look beyond and I say, Lord God, give me a message for those that are here that they might see you. This person, it's too late. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that anyone can do. They have, it's to die once and then judgment. It's just that simple. There's no more. The last breath and it's over, okay? Those are very difficult for family, friends, for all, especially for those of us that know Jesus Christ personally. Now, when I go to a funeral or a memorial for someone that is saved, it's, just, it's a homecoming. It's a home going. I guess it would be a better way to say it. It's a joyous time. Yes, we're left behind. There's grief. There's bereavement. There's, there's, there's sorrow. But we can be comforted by that very thing. This is what Paul is saying. Oh, no, that's not the end. No, 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 no. That's going home. How many of you guys want to go home? I want to go home. I actually do. And we're here because we're supposed to be. We're, we're what's the right word? Um, occupying. We're occupying. We're, we're to be watchful. Now, notice in the text we read today, four different times he says to be watchful. Now, it wasn't just to that generation that will be there, but it's also to, to us today. Just thinking of that. Keep going. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, even so, them also which sleep or sleep in Jesus will God bring with him bring with him. Again, speaking of that's a coming event, so how could you, let's keep going, we'll let it speak for itself. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why do you think they're rising first? They have six feet further to go. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get an early start. Uh, that wasn't very good. Keep going. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds, to meet the Lord, where? On the earth, in the air. In the air. And so shall we be, ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another. Now, that is not the second coming. That is not the second coming. There's a lot of things that are absent. 
But let's take another, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before we uh, do a little more speaking about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, let's see, where are we at here? Verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, transformed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immorality, immortality, I'm sorry, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a victory for those that are in Christ. That's not the second coming. Look at John 14. This is one that isn't even thought about that way. What do you know about John 14? <coughs> There's one way to get to God, right? For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. But look at this, how he states this. Now, where are they at? John 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. What's the time frame? What's the context? Where are we at on our, on our study in Mark chapter 13? We're on Wednesday. You know where John 14 is? Thursday. It's one day later. He's actually, this is where they're gathered. They're gathered I was going to say around the table. They weren't around the table, but they were enjoying the communion, the last supper they had together. And he says this. Oh, Peter was kind of, did you see that? Well, let's cap that. Peter was mouthing off. He says, oh, I will go with you to the death. Peter and Jesus responded. Well, verse 37, chapter 13. Just go back a couple of verses. John 13, 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered and said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And then he goes on to say this, Let not your heart be troubled. Now stop for a second. There are those that believe that the Christian will go through the tribulation. That would be a sort of like a combined rapture, second coming, if you will. They're going to go, in other words, we're not immune to persecution. Never said we were. Uh, we sh you know, we're going to be part of this whole thing. No, we're not. We'll go into that in a moment. But if you put that together and you see the fact that you would go through, and what is another name for what's going on the last half of the tribulation? It's, it's the great tribulation. And what's, what's the component of that? Is God's wrath. W-R-A-T-H. Came and spell R. Wrath. That's a wrath. R-A-T-H. No. I won't get out there. So, when you see that, does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense at all, does it? The Bible says we're not condemned. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Well, in fact, I'll, we want to find those in your Bible as well. See, it doesn't make any sense. But the point of the matter is, I'm gonna, this is my point. How could your heart not be troubled if you were going to go through what he had described the day before of his coming? How could you not be troubled when the sun is dark and the moon is dark and the stars are falling? I think my heart would be troubled, right? He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Let's keep going, though. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, since I'm going to prepare a place for you, since I said I would, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is that speaking of? That's speaking of a catching away. That's speaking of the rapture. All three of those passages, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, John chapter 14, all speak of the fact of the rapture taking place prior to the second coming. Did you notice what's not mentioned? Talk to me about the second coming. What's, what's the principal focus of Jesus coming the second time? Judgment. Judgment. And it's pretty, pretty clear. You can't read uh, Revelation 6 through 19 and come up with, huh, I wonder what he's really doing here. No, it's really clear. It is focused on the sense of judging sin and all of those that are captured by it. Judgment. Judgment. Revelation, and there's another thing, taking the book of Revelation, which was written by John, John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. He was, he was exiled there. He was supposed to be alone and isolated, so he couldn't do any damage. Whew, did he do some good damage? We got the book of Revelation, right? So just follow through that. And it was the things that were, that are, and shall be. That's how it's really, that's the, that's the outline of the book. In chapter 1, you literally find the church on the earth. You find Jesus Christ describing. And in chapters 2 and 3, it actually lines out for us the seven churches. They were actually in Asia Minor. Those were real physical churches. They were there. And there's actually some thought of process of going to the, using them, focusing into the future. You take the church of Laodicea, which is the one that couldn't tell if you were warm or hot, right? They're lukewarm. Jesus literally said, I would spew you out of my mouth. I'm not sure that that doesn't depict a lot of the church today in the time frame we find ourselves living. But after chapter 3, from chapters 4 all the way well into chapter 19 of Revelation, guess who is absent? The church. There's not one word of admonition. There's not word. Wouldn't you think that if you were in the tribulation, all of the epistles are written to Christians? Right? In other words, get right thinking. You have right living. That's how Paul, every single one of them, you've got to think right before you can live right. Wouldn't you think if the church was in the tribulation that John would say, oh, a couple notes to you guys that love Jesus. This is going to be rough. This is what you need to do. Not one word is spoken about the church in a massive portion of that book. Not one word is spoken. Now, last week we went into chapter 19 and we said, all of those that are in Christ, literally, well, let's go back and look at that one more time. Because it picks up and it shows who he's coming with. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And in verse 8, well, actually verse 7, Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Revelation 19, 7. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Even John the Baptist declared it that way. Who's the wife? The church. Okay. And to her, watch, was granted that she should be arrayed. The church, the church is arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You see it there. Okay. Now turn down to verse 11. This speaks of the second coming. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and, his head were, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is this? Jesus Christ. 
And the armies which were in heaven, watch now, the armies which were in heaven, heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Exactly the description we just found out that the wife is. You know what's taking place during the tribulation period? After the rapture, which is at the beginning of the tribulation, we have the feast of the bridegroom, the church and Jesus, that, and then there's a Bema seat where there will be rewards. All of that's going to be taking place during the tribulation period. The church does not go up, and those that are post-tribulationists, in other words, they say the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. Now think of that for a moment. There's going to be a lot of people getting in each other's way. Because you've got to go up to come down. Because that says right there that literally the church is coming with Jesus Christ. You can't deny that. They don't. But how would you go up and come down? Who would know if you're up or down? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Doesn't make any sense. Where to look for Jesus? What was that? Somebody say something? What? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. How are we to look? That's, that's, here's another thing. Who are you looking for today? Now, there are those that the apostles were looking for a sign of the kingdom to come, right? He said, he opens this up and he says, the sign of my coming will be the abomination of desolation. That's the sign. And then ultimately you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. Who is you? Those that are living in the tribulation. It has nothing to do with us. Are you looking for... The abomination of desolation? No. Are you looking for the Antichrist? No. We are looking for the blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious that is heart. His glory is appearing, exactly. And we will meet him in the air. We will meet him in the air. We will meet him in the air. <laughs> Maybe not a sign necessary to be completed. Yeah. It's not completed yet. Time to go. Now we'll, we know what's withholding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is interesting that for the second coming, there will be very distinct signs that will happen. If you're living here, the Word of God, literally, let him that readeth understandeth, right? The Bible will unfold this. Now, even though no one knows the day, it doesn't say the era, it doesn't say the season, it doesn't even say the year. We'll come to that in a moment. It says you do not know the day or the hour. It has nothing to do with the rapture. If there's someone who's going to try to tell me the rapture, that's even crazier than the person that's going to try to tell me when the second coming is. Because the second coming will be pretty distinct in seeing how this unfolds. When you see the Antichrist being worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem, you know you're about three and a half years away if you read the Bible. But you still won't know the day or the hour. The rapture, folks... There are no signs necessary that are left. It could happen now. Oh, it didn't happen. <laughs> I actually think of all of those that were talking about his second coming. And see, I think they were so confused they didn't even see a difference between the rapture and the second coming. The Millerites. We could name those. We could, we could, I could talk of multiple people that had it all figured out. They named the day several times. There was a guy on... Uh, What's that radio station? It's in Butte. It's actually, I really enjoy listening. It's kind of so, some older hymns, 88.9. 88.9. And family radio, right? Okay, there was a, there was a I call him a false teacher. Um, and somebody, Brother Camping was his name, Brother Camping. He's since went on, I was going to say the Lord, I don't know. He had a false gospel. It was very, very legalistic. It was, but he picked several times in his latter part of his, of his life, 
He picked the day that the rapture was going to take place. And he was wrong. That's not a surprise, right? That's not a surprise. Why would you even do that? Why would you bother? And especially, you can't even pick the second coming. That's what this passage is about. Why would you even try in the rapture? And there's countless people I run into. Oh, according to this, we're here. No, stop. What are we doing with our time? We're to be occupying and what? What did Jesus tell them? I tell you what, Acts chapter 1 is for us just as much as it is for the disciples. We need to go back there. I'll probably end the passage, or end it there as well, but let's go to, uh, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, because it's just almost the same. It's like we, we want to know what we don't know. Isn't that how we are? I mean, we just want to know what we can't know. Verse 6, chapter 1, Acts. Now, Jesus had been with them how long after, after his resurrection? 40 days, okay? He's been popping in and out. He's been showing up. This is his last day. This is actually, they didn't know it, but he was with, he's within moments now of departing permanently. From the sense, permanently being for that time frame of which he won't be back until his second coming on earth. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him. This is again, this is the first thing on their mind, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Are you getting the picture they really want to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like now? Now. And he responds this way. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know we're in there? We are to be doing this to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, did you notice? I want to, there's something, it's kind of interesting what's not stated there. He said it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Go back to Mark chapter 13. Let's jump ahead to something. Verse 32. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But of that day, what day? The day that the heaven and earth will pass away. Or essentially the second, we'll say the second coming. I better say it that way, the second coming. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which are in heaven. Now think of that. The angels are right in God's presence. And they don't know. And did you see it? Neither the Son, but the Father. Now you're bothered by that. What do you mean the Son doesn't know? You mean Jesus doesn't know? When did He say that? He was sitting on the Mount of Olives. He was a man. He was, a God. He was the God-man. All God, all man. But one of the things that would have happened is the prerogatives were set aside. There are things that he didn't allow himself to be part of. One of that was at that point, he didn't know the day or the hour. But did you see in Acts chapter 1, after he was in his new body, the resurrected body, I would say, just like we're going to be transformed into? He said, you don't know. He didn't say, I don't know. Did you see that? He said, you don't know. So don't waste your time with that. How much time is wasted people trying to figure out when the rapture happened? Or in case, for most cases, they don't even know it's the rapture. They call it the second coming. I don't want to be at the second coming here. I'm coming with him. We will be in heaven with him. We will have just went through a fantastic feast. We will have went through the beam of seat. We will be given our rewards. You know what? We're going to throw them at his feet because he's the only reason that we could have even gotten any of that. And then we come with him to rule and reign for a thousand years. Oh, here's another problem. What if the rapture happened... At the end of the tribulation. Now we've talked about the, the, 
the traveling congestion, right? The up and down. But let's think about this for a moment. Who inhabits the millennial kingdom? No, the devil, he's, he's got his own little dwelling. He goes to hotel deep down, dark, cave. <laughs> he, that hotel, and he's, and he's got to stay for a thousand years. Okay. That's like paid in advance, right? He is locked in there, right? And, and chained. Okay. Yeah, he's done. A thousand years, he's, he's out. I thought he was out. Sorry. Who's, uh, who will inhabit the millennium, the kingdom? Israel. Excuse me? Israel. And, renewed Israel. Okay, and who, is, and who is that? Right. In fact, if we go to Matthew chapter 25, at his second coming, there's a division, there's a sorting. We have the goat nations and the sheep nations. But let's think about this. Are they, are they translated? Are they transformed saints, as we'll use those terms? Or have they been raptured? No. But what if the rapture happened at the second coming? Who would be in the millennium? And you say, well, we're going to be the Yeah, we are. But we're, we're at a different level because we've been translated. We've been transformed. We have a new body. We have a, you're, not, you're not subject to any change after that. You're incorruptible. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. But what do you know at the end of the millennium? They're going to be deceived. There's a lot of them going to be deceived because guess what? Captain Satan, who's locked in Hotel Deep Hole, he's let out, and amazingly, thousands, as sand of the... Let's go there again. We did it last week. Let's go, because this is really important. This is why the rapture and the second coming couldn't possibly be the same time. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Revelation 20, verse 7. Yeah, he went to Hotel Bottomless Pit. You see that? Well, let's do it. verse 1. Well, I saw an angel come down from heaven, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. I don't know. Is that a Hotel 1 or what is that? Bottomless Pit. Verse 7, going ahead. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And the number of them is as the sand of the sea. And they went up from the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, wait a minute. Who are those that were gathered together? The number of who is the sand of the sea? Who are those? Who are those people? All of those that were physically born in the millennium, thousand-year reign. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. This is theocracy. This is, like, this is like how much better could you make this, right? But you know what? As Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's right there. Now, stop for a moment. Let's come back to what I was talking about, how we got here. What if the rapture, the changing of everyone... The translating, you will be cut, right? You're going to have your new body, be like Jesus Christ's body. What if that all happened at the end of the second coming? What do you do with that verse? Doesn't work. Very distinct events. The rapture has to be before the second coming. Because there has to be those that are saved in this 70th week, the week of tribulation, literally those that have trusted Christ in the tribulation period that are not, they did not die. They were not translated. 
but they would be called a sheep nation, according to Matthew chapter 25. So he's dividing those. And he, in fact, we need to go back to that for a moment because Pete asked a great question a couple weeks ago. Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. To, uh, let's, go there. let's go there for a moment. Because this, again, is a very, very much a relevant sense of second coming. Matthew chapter 24. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> in fact, look at this. this. This ties in beautifully. We just got a little more narrative. Matthew 24. Let's look at verse 32. This is what we're talking about in the parable of the fig tree. So now learn, are you all there? Matthew 24, 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is, is nigh. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. If you're there and you see the abomination of desolation and you're in the tribulation, that generation will not pass until it's all fulfilled. Look at verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, heaven and earth does not pass away at the end of the tribulation. When does it pass away? At the end of the millennium. Okay? The day of the Lord is a thousand and seven years, if you will, plus a few more days. Daniel says there's an additional 30 to 75 days that are in between the tribulation and the millennium. Okay? I don't want to talk about that today, but it's a thousand and seven plus years. Okay? At the very end of it, earth, heaven and earth are, are literally passing away. But his words never will. Now watch, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of, of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, for a moment, just slip into that time frame. Noah is building his ark for approximately 100 plus years. So Mrs. Noah has this project that her husband is on the garage with, and it's actually outgrown. It's in the lawn. It's becoming rather large, and Noah and the boys are out working on it pretty regularly, actually. And 100 years have passed. Are you going to be done? Honey, we need to move that thing. <laughs> and, here, and here come the naysayers walking by. Oh, what you got going there, Noah, buddy? Oh, buddy, you'll pal you. How long have you been working on that bad boy? Still talking about a flood? Oh, yeah, just like Jesus is coming back, right? I mean, right, same deal. It's the same, it's the same deal. Jesus coming back? Flood? What's a flood? Now, keep in mind, they've never seen it rain. It was a green, it was like this perfect greenhouse. I mean, it was just like, it was perfect. Condensation. It, it was just wonderful. Can you imagine not having to irrigate? It just stuff grows. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. Now, they still had weeds because Adam screwed up and sinned, right? But, right? But it's, it's wonderful. No rain. Flood? Flood? That's like, you know, that's water in a bathtub, right? What do you mean a flood? What are you doing? This thing is huge, right? You do the dimensions. It's massive. Where is that, where is that replica of, of, of Noah's Ark? Where is that? Is it, is it in Illinois or somewhere back there? Kentucky. Kentucky? Okay. Has it, did you see it? How big is that bad boy? Big. <laughs> okay, so think of that one on, on Noah's front lawn, right? Honey, we've got to buy another 20. We've got to add on. And can you imagine all of the harassment and all of the, that isn't going to happen. What is he thinking? What is he dreaming about? Just like they talk about Jesus Christ coming back. It's the same deal, right? Just as those days were. He's likening it now just like that when Jesus comes back again. Okay? And you know what it must have felt like when those first drops came down? Huh. A little more dew today, huh? What's going on? <laughs> and then it started raining like cats and dogs. 
And then it says the fountains of the deep actually blew up. And all of a sudden, it's knee-deep. It's too late, right? It's too late. They're climbing trees. They're trying to... They're, right? That's just essentially what it'll be exactly like. Now, right, right? And it's closed. The door is closed. That's what we, as we read prophecy, should really be likening to the fact. Don't let the door get closed. Don't let this life go by. As we go on, now watch now. Think of, think of this now. There's judgment there by, fl by flood. And it says, and knew not, verse 39, we'll read it again, until the flood came. They didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, verse 40 and 41, I mean repeatedly, you've heard it hundreds of times that this, these two verses have to do with, let's read them. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. How many of you heard that's a picture of the rapture? One will be taken, and one be left. Right? Have you not heard that? That, my friends, is the most, oh, it's horrible to even say that. It's tied to Noah. Guess what? Those people that were left behind were taken what? Into judgment. Those that are Latin that are talking about two will be walking, one will be taken. The one taken is not going on the rapture. The one taken will be taken to judgment Amen. because that's the second coming. That's what he's talking about. And when Jesus comes, the ones that stay, this is, this is relevant now, the millennium will be populated by those that are left behind because Jesus takes the ones at the end of the tribulation to judgment. The Antichrist and the false prophet are the first ones taken, Right? They're, in the, they're, in the, they're the first inhabitants of the lake of fire. The others are taken to judgment. Those in Noah's age, they were taken into judgment. That has nothing to do with the rapture. A rapture is us being caught up with Jesus in the air. You see the difference? I hope you did. It's really distinct, isn't it? Got to get this. Got to get this. So let's talk about the rapture for a moment now. The church is meeting Jesus in the air. At the rapture, at the second coming, the church returns with Christ. What happens at the rapture of the Mount of Olives? Nothing. Second coming, he lands, and we looked at it in Zechariah, it's actually literally split when he lands. In the rapture, the earth is untouched. At his second coming... There is a lot of destruction takes place. You read Revelation, you can unfold that. Um, in the rapture, when Jesus says, I'm coming for you in John 14, what does he say about sin? Nothing. Sin is not judged. When he comes at the second coming, sin is judged. There's a sense of all sorts of punishment and condemnation. At the rapture, the Antichrist reign begins. At the second coming, Jesus Christ's reign begins, going in the millennium. In the rapture, the body goes to heaven. At the second coming, the body comes to earth. Body being the body of Christ. How important it is that we see that it's not one and the same. Any questions? Yes? I don't know if you want to go there, but uh, a lot of people believe in the mid-trip. That's right. Now they... And, and what, they're, what, they're, what they basically say, if you look at, 
you can take passages that would talk about that God's wrath is on the last half of the tribulation. This is a time of God's wrath. So they're saying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, is we're saved from God's wrath in making it more distinct. But the whole period, the whole time frame of the tribulation, literally those seven years, is God's wrath being poured out on the Jews to get them to come back to him. So that's where the mid-trib comes from. In other words, Christian, just for the rest of you, we would go through half of the tribulation, and then at the mid part of the tribulation, then we would be snatched, we would be raptured out of there, okay? I don't, but see, the, where that breaks down um, is the fact that there's no distinct, why wouldn't we have something, say, in chapters 6 and 7, which would be the first part of the tribulation period in regards to the church being, again, admonitions or, hey, hey, hey guys, this is going to be really bad, but if you do this, you keep your eyes on Jesus, this is what you need to do as you're living daily in that first part of the tribulation. You don't see any of that. See, it's all absent. None of that's there. So that's actually just a figment of using that word wrath to kind of fit their, idea, their ideology. I think part of it is this. There's, there's, a, there's people that actually feel guilty by Christians not being there and enduring the tribulation. You want to be part of it. You know, there's we're, we're Jesus. Yes, but that's not the point. The point is that whole week, the whole seven years, Jesus Christ, I, I would say God's program is working with the Jews. That's why it's the 70th. That's why I keep putting this up here. Th- those 70 weeks are what God is. That's, that's the Jewish timetable according to Daniel. You go to Daniel chapter 9, and, you ha- and 69 weeks have already transpired. They're gone. And that's why the apostles just kept thinking, this got to be the 70th week. This has to be it. We're right here. But it wasn't. Actually, the end of the 69th week was when Jesus Christ was crucified. That began what literally is our church age. You're here today because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. We can't be thankful enough for what has happened to our lives, our families, and all of our legacies, literally, because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. If they hadn't, we would well beyond past the 70th week. You wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be part of God's kingdom, ultimately. Isn't that crazy? Even in, even in, seeing God just works all this stuff out together for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. We're in that verse, chapter 8, verse 28 of Romans, by his very grace. But, but, he's not done with them. Romans chapter 11 talks about the fact that he will return to them. That remnant of the Jews will be saved. And that is in the 70th week, which is the tribulation period. And, and to, to separate it, to make it half for the churches, makes zero sense from God's timetable. Zero. But, but that's where it came from, was that they were taking that wrath. In fact, let's find the verse. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. In fact, we'll start in verse 10 of chapter 1. You'll find it there. It just flows. 1 Thessalonians. It's amazing how much he had to say, Paul that is, in the church of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait. Oh, we should start in verse 9. First uh, Thessalonians 1 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you return how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, semicolon, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I think that's a picture of the tribulation in its entirety. Now Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. And actually we'll start in verse 8. But let us who are of the day, Christians, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any question in that same book, 1 Thessalonians, that epistle, that that word wrath is depicting of that coming tribulation period, the 70th week of God dealing exclusively with the Jews. All of those in Christ will, be, will escape that time period of wrath. Okay, um, what else? What is that when, when I talk about the battle of Armageddon? Um, that would be, it would be at the end of the tribulation period. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Now what we did, we've actually read earlier today in his second coming, verse 11 through 16 of Revelation chapter 19, it talks about Jesus coming. We talked about the armies in heaven coming, verse 14, that followed him upon white horses, I'm sorry, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's the church coming with Jesus Christ. Now, verse 15, let's continue now. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and, did you see the word? Wrath. Of Almighty God. Do you see this fits in what we just read in 1 Thessalonians? This is the wrath of God. And he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is no question. This is Jesus Christ coming in the second, his second coming. Verse 17. Now watch. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse against his army. What do we have here? We have literally all of the forces of Antichrist coming against Jesus Christ, this one riding on this white horse, and his armies, the angels, and the church coming with him. They are doing battle in this place. And let's see, where was I? What, did I, where, what verse was I on? 19. Let's read it again. I saw the, the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which swords proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That is the battle of Armageddon. That literally takes place in, that, in the Middle East, right in that Israeli corridor. It's about 200 miles long, potentially. And there is, I, the, the bloodshed is just amazing. The, the pictures are amazing. And they're talking about blood that, at, at bridal's height for 200 miles. Unreal. That literally is that final battle where all of Antichrist's army, all of them come together against Jesus Christ and his armies, which you will be there. You will come with him. And it's over before it began. It's over. That's the battle of Armageddon. Now, the interesting part is there's almost another battle of Armageddon, if you will, at the end of the millennium. Even though it's not called that, the same thing, that deception of Satan being released from hotel bottomless pit to where he deceives all of these countless, as sands of the sea. And again, it's over before it starts. But again, did you notice in both of those cases, the ones that are taken are not left, they're taken to judgment. That's a key component. Again, if that, if that, let's say right there at the end of that, the Armageddon, let's say that's when the rapture took place. 
Well, first of all, it doesn't even follow the line, the line of reasoning of Scripture because those that came with him, which are described earlier in chapter 19 of Revelation, are us, the church. We've already been. So what, what's, see, it's, it's all wrong. But if you waited to the very end, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, for the rapture, for the saving, for the translation, for the transformation, then who inhabits the millennium as physical beings? It doesn't make any sense. Right? Okay. Too much? Too fast? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, let's go to, I, I think this is, because, let's go back to Mark, let's go back to our text, and let's take a look at something. Um, Mark 13. Where is that at? Heaven, at, verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Think of that authority, as Jesus is saying these words, this is absolutely going to happen. And, and to think that heaven and earth, I mean, look, just to be honest, you look out, has, has much changed? If you, did you get up this morning and just like that mountain, Baldy was gone? No, it wasn't. It's, it's pretty steady, isn't it? Thankfully, I'm okay with that. But Jesus says, my words are as authoritative that they will never change, they will never pass away. He said it earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 18, even though the earth and uh, heaven and earth may pass away, not one jot, not one tittle will change in my word. Isn't that something? That heaven and earth will pass away. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. Let's take a look at that. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's look at, uh, written by the Apostle Peter. Now last week we talked about a thousand years as one day. Let's, let's, let's begin reading there, I think. Verse 8. Oh my, we could do so many things, couldn't we? We could go back and tie that together with, oh my goodness. We've got to start in verse 6. We have to. We have to. Second uh, Peter chapter three verse six, whereby oh no we can't do that either. Verse three. Okay, I'm sorry. We, we, verse three. Second Peter chapter three verse verse three three three. Knowing this first that there will come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming? In fact, yeah, Alice brought that up last week. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Right. There's no second coming. Jesus isn't coming back. There's no rapture. This is a joke. It's all in your mind. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In other words, he said he spoke it into existence. Those seven days of creation, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He spoke that into existence as well, that flood, Noah's flood. We just read about it earlier. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. That's why all of this stuff about climate change, all of these people are so worried about hairspray or whatever spray or what. That is pointless. God has it reserved. Did you see that word? He has it reserved. You will not change it. You will not blow it up. You will not accomplish anything aside from God reserving it for him to destroy by fire. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's when we know that the rapture, you know, there is, there is something that will happen. We have no idea when it is. But the last person to be saved in the church, when that person is saved, that's when the rapture will happen. I have no idea when that event is. 
or who it is. We don't, boy, that would be something if when that person gets saved. I was going to name somebody, but that's no, not good. Don't do that. Larry, don't do that. When that person gets saved, the rapture's on, right? Oh, I really want to say this guy's name, too, but I'm not going to say it. I'm, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Let's keep going. But, Larry, when you now, and you come to church so small, we'll know. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. Let's hope you're gone, too. I hope this, and you know what? This, in all seriousness, now, there's going to there's gonna come a Sunday morning. 10 a.m., and there's nobody at Ruby Valley Bible Church. That will be a huge success. I yeah. will have said it was all worth it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. That would be great. I hope this place is empty the day <laughs> of the rapture. <laughs> I don't want to be here, and I don't want you to be here, because guess what? If you're here, you better go find a Bible, and you better start reading and understand what's taking place, just as Mark said in chapter 13, right? All right. I'm, off, I'm way off track again. Verse 10. Now watch. Here it is. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall, be passed, shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That is so fantastic. You know what? That's, that's what prophecy should do. It should make us seeking purity, holiness, righteousness. I was thinking, maybe we'll just close here. Um, there, well, let's go back to Mark 13 for a moment. There's some words that he keeps using. He, he likens another one here, uh, verse 33. Let's just look at them. Take you heed, watch and pray, verse 33, for you know not when the time is. Look at verse 35. Watch you therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at evening or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. Now, again, uh, it's interesting. I just, I just thought of this right now. Uh, take a look at verse 35. Watch you therefore, but before you do that, he said it like four different times, to watch, to be alert, be on guard. Okay. Now verse 35 it says, For you know not when the master of the house cometh, even at evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning. You know what he didn't talk about? Sleep was on. the 12 hours, 12 hours of daytime. And we know what we're normally? We're normally awake. So you know what this watchfulness is? Pay attention all the time. Now, in this, this would have been Roman time. Mark would have been more on the, on the Roman aspect. So you, what you have is four different watches that would be from a night man's watch. It would be from 6 to 9. It was four three-hour watches. So it would be like from 6 to 9. He says, what does he say there? He says evening, and evening would have been at 9 o'clock. So from 6 to 9, it would be that. Or midnight, which would be 9 to midnight. Then it would be from midnight to the cock crowing verse at, at, at 3 a.m. He mentions that. And then he says morning, which would be 3 to 6. Each one of those watches, he tells you to pay attention. The one in the daytime is just obvious. Be, be aware. So what does he mean by watch? Be on guard. Uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 34 is another one. It talks about being ready, being on guard. The bridesmaids. We might even talk about those parables in, in uh, Matthew that aren't here. I'll just see how it goes. But the, the ten bridesmaids, they're just chilling. They're just waiting, right? They're just waiting for the bridegroom to come. And they're, they're sleeping, right? Now, I want to show you an example which happened the very next night, Thursday night, of how not to be alert. 
Let's go to it. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. We'll come back to it as we get there, as we walk through this, the scriptures. But let's go to verse 32, Mark chapter 14, there in Gethsemane. Verse 32, chapter 14. This is, again, mark this, this is how not to be alert. This is how not to be on guard. This is how not to be ready. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. He saith to his disciples, sit you here while I pray. And he taketh with them Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and very tired. Okay, got it? And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry you here and watch. Oh, did you see the word? Watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. I can't imagine in those few verses here. And he's wanting the disciples to what? To watch. I have to believe that part of watching is praying. We should be praying more than we've ever prayed right now for ourselves, Amen. for the country, Amen. for the world, for those that don't know Christ. That's part of watching. Now, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Verse 37, and he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest thou not watch one hour? Watch you and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. That is how not to be alert. When Jesus said in chapter 13, just the day before, the night before, literally 24 hours, probably less than 24 hours earlier, he said, you need to be alert. You need to be watchful. Now, he was talking to those, yes, it's dual audiences. He's talking to those that will be present, that generation that is in the tribulation. Yes, you, you have to be watchful. But you know what? So do we today. We need to be watchful today. You know, how many of you get junk mail in your mailbox? Oh, it's overwhelming, right? You get junk mail on your computer, right? Spam. You get junk mail on your, on your phones. You get texts that are garbage. You get all of that stuff. Well, you know what? It's not just in the devices that we have externally. You get a lot of junk mail in your mind. Amen. It comes in various ways. And it's amazing how it can sit there and spew its toxins. And what you need to do is sort through that. You know, sometimes on our counter, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but our counter can get kind of covered up with a lot of mail, right? And it's important that somebody goes through there. Somebody, somebody <laughs> needs to go through that and you need to sort. There's bills. They need to go in the office. There are checks once in a while. Those <laughs> need to go to the office. And there's the stuff that is just junk. And you know the best thing to do with that? Throw it away. Or return to sender. Return to sender. I remember uh, Lisa earlier, she, you know, we'd get this stuff. We'd get a book from somewhere. And you know what? She didn't even open it up. It wasn't her. She, she never ordered it. She just put return to sender, pop in the mailbox. Gone. Doesn't have to worry about it. Doesn't have to pay any postage. Return to sender. That's where it deserved to go. All of this stuff that's in your mind, return to sender. Most of that stuff comes from Satan. It's garbage. And you know what? That is what causes us not to be alert. That's what causes us not to be on guard. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. <clears throat> That's what we need to be doing is guarding our heart, being alert, being prayerful. 
unfolding everything before us as we're looking for the blessed hope. Our blessed hope is seen is when Jesus Christ comes for us, John chapter 14. If I go to replace, prepare a place for you, I will come to get you. That's the rapture. When you look at the blessed hope, that's what you need to be doing, praying, watching, being alert. Did you guys find uh, Proverbs 4.23? That's, that's a great one. But didn't I tell you to? I, I did now. <laughs> 4.23. Keep thy heart, guard thy heart with all diligence. All diligence, not some diligence, not sometimes. For out of it are the issues of life. That verse, if young people, I, I don't even care how young, five, six, seven-year-olds. Um, there's a couple of, who was it? I think Lorinda was saying that uh, Presley and, uh, oof. Laredo, there we go. That's bad. can't remember my grandson's name. They're at uh, Awana. And, are you guys familiar with the Awana program? Fantastic program. Lisa and I, when we were in Paradise Valley, we led the, the, uh, the, the group. There's Cubbies and there's... What are the other ones? Sorry, missed it. Too long ago. But it's, it's getting little kids learning Bible verses. That's what it's about. It really is. And it's amazing how easy it is for those little guys to memorize. For us, not so much. That's the time to learn it. So anyway, Presley, he goes. Now, Laredo's a little bit different. If he's got to learn one verse, he'll learn one verse. Now, Presley, he learned like five or six, right? He just zoom because that's how our little minds, that's how those little minds are. You know what? That's the best way to guard your heart is to memorize Scripture. Because God will use that. The Holy Spirit lives in within you, will bring those Bible verses that are pertinent to your level of trial or temptation, and they'll pop right up on your viewfinder if you're willing to open it up. And you know, he uses the Bible. He uses the Bible. Praise God. And you know what he just said? He said, my the heaven and earth will pass away. All that you see in this mountain range one day will not be here. The rubies, the gravelies, you name it. The Rocky Mountains. Everything that you know of that is on a map geographically will not be there. But God's word, not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot, not anything will ever change. It will be there permanently, forever, eternity, completely. And that's what I want to memorize. That's what I want to be a part of. Because that's our salvation as we look for a blessed hope. Let's, let's look at one more verse. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And get rid of the junk mail, right? That's a, Get rid of the junk mail. Let's go to uh, Titus. Titus chapter 2. It was sort of verse 11, Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Watch verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for the blessed hope? Oh, please do. And it won't be blessed hope until you know him personally. Maybe this is the day that someone needs to in the quietness of their heart just surrender self to the grace of God. Surrendering everything they are to Jesus Christ.
because it goes on to say, He gave Himself for us, verse 14, that He might redeem us, to purchase us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, His own possession, if you will, zealous of good works. Oh, friends, Jesus spoke that night with so much fervor, so much dedication. It had been a long day. He had taught at the temple, but to be gathered with His four disciples at that time of solitude, speaking about the future, which we still see as future. But even John, ah, that one, do you mind? One more verse. This is how we have to cap it. Go to the very last verse in the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 and 21. This is how John, after giving, I mean, you talk about being blown away. How about you're, you're in the Isle of Patmos by yourself. You can't even tell your wife. You can't, I got this vision. You will not believe it, honey. You will not believe what I'm seeing. He's there by himself. I don't know if he told, I don't know, where was he at? A kangaroo or I don't know what he did. Seagulls, yeah, he's probably talking to seagulls. He says this, verse 20, this is how he closes. He, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. That's Jesus Christ. Surely I come quickly. Amen. And then John says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. There is no way or way for us to just say right now, regardless of what's in our future, our future is with him. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we're, we're awestruck by the power, the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, lived, walked, and talked, lived, breathed, and died on a cross at the hands of men that he created. Father, to think of all of history wrapped up into a week of creation, and there's a coming, a seven-year time of tribulation, a time of judgment, a time of ruling as Jesus Christ, a theocracy, for a thousand years and to still think that there are those the heart is desperately wicked at the end will follow after being deceived by Satan one last time before he is thrown into the everlasting lake of fire along with all of those that have followed him Father I pray for those that currently are following Satan some of them are oblivious to it they don't even know the state in which they are they're so captured so enamored so owned by sin that Father would there, may their eyes be opened we read in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that you would that all would come to repentance. Father Jesus Christ died for everyone. There are men and women today that will trust Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray, looking forward to that blessed hope when we will see you, when we will be with you forever. But Father, in the meantime, may we occupy, may we guard, may we be alert, may our hearts be in tune with you. Help us, Father, to throw away the junk mail that comes in our minds. May we be firm, solid, established, fixed, focused on Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for us. Allow us to see you more clearly every single moment of every day. Help us as we yield to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.